Breakthrough News. It's 5 p.m. You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is the Punch Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we're back with you here on the Punch Out Wednesday, 24th of February, 2021. Plenty for you here, as we always do. We're going to be talking about the Democrats defending gerrymandering. Yep, that's right. We're going to be talking about China and Africa in terms of vaccine cooperation. Definitely stick around for that. But before we get to that, I want to talk about the grim truth behind a statistic that at first glance looks great. Well, having crossed the 500,000 death mark, it's hard to overstate the carnage that's been wrought by the COVID-19 pandemic here in the U.S., something that's borne out by a recent statistic that sounds good at first, but like I said, hides a grim truth. Wages grew historically fast between 2019 and 2020, 6.9% for the typical or median worker. The problem, however, as pointed out by the Economic Policy Institute, is, quote, wages grew largely because more than 80% of the 9.6 million net jobs lost in 2020 were jobs held by wage earners in the bottom 25% of the wage distribution. 7.9 million of the 9.6 million jobs lost last year were among the 25% of lowest, the lowest paid workers in the U.S. By contrast, the highest fourth, the top 25% best paid, you could say, they actually gained about a million jobs. So clearly the bottom was wiped out, but the top did well. Creates a statistical mirage, essentially just making it appear that wages went up overall, but really huge numbers of low-wage jobs just disappeared or cut their pay rates. And low-wage workers really have tended to bear the disproportionate share of many of the aspects of this pandemic. For instance, research in New York City during the height of the pandemic noted that being a lower-income person was the number one risk factor for catching COVID-19. There was a recent study of essential workers in Western Massachusetts. Low-wage workers were two to three times more likely, two to three times more likely to lack access to safety measures that reduced the transmission of COVID-19. In a recent national survey of workers, 24%, 24% of grocery store workers reported their employers uh, did not, made masks available. So only 24% of these grocery store workers said their employers made masks available. 24%. It's important to just take a step back here and reflect on what all of that really says when you think about the impact of the crisis. Low-wage workers were the most likely to lose their jobs, the most likely to have to work anyway, and thus most likely to catch COVID. That means that they were also more likely to work in unsafe workplaces in general, and also more likely to die from COVID-19. So you're more likely to get it, more likely to have to put up with it, more likely to lose your job because of it. And then on top of all of that, you're less likely to be getting a vaccine right now. I mean, it really is just unbelievable. When you think about these 500,000 deaths in that light, 
I mean, it really means that the U.S. government strategy, because we know at all levels there were, yes, failures, but things that were just not done, that the strategy really to addressing the pandemic was just to sacrifice low-wage workers and senior citizens. I mean, it's a hell of a commentary on the priorities inherent to capitalism. Ghana became the first African nation to receive vaccines through the WHO's COVAX mechanism. That's to help poor countries, middle-income countries procure the vaccine, allegedly. And these first doses come to Ghana as COVAX has been under a lot of criticism from African nations. Strive Masiwa, who's the African Union Special Envoy on Vaccines, told the Financial Times, quote, we need shipments to 55 member states who are in COVAX, and that isn't happening. And he went on to tell the Financial Times that even though COVAX had pledged to deliver 55 million vaccines to the continent by the end of March, that, quote, today is almost the end of February, there's nothing. Where are the vaccines? We haven't seen them, end quote. And the delay in the COVAX mechanism, I'm sure the WHO, there are many things that maybe you could criticize about their process, but it really comes down to the fact that rich nations are hoarding the vaccine, and they're also the main funders for COVAX, which they're underfunding, but ultimately they're hoarding the vaccine, which makes it more difficult to procure them drives up the prices, of course. And so even COVAX, which has the imprimatur of the United Nations, finds it harder to be able to get vaccines. The G7 nations, the richest countries, they've locked up via these contracts 1 billion vaccines. And in most of these countries, of course, the number of vaccines they've secured via contract are well in excess of the total population. So much so, they themselves have admitted it, the US, UK, EU, saying they'll give their leftovers to other countries. So they're just taking more than they need, but pledging to give the leftovers, you know, who knows when to other people. So it just gives you a sense of the impact of these contracts. And that's what makes it even more notable what China is doing. They're obviously filling a clear gap as the most reliable provider of vaccines to Africa so far. And really their efforts started months ago when they built a high-tech freezer warehouse in Ethiopia, partnering with local companies and Ethiopian airways to create a vaccine air bridge to Africa. One million vaccines will move through that warehouse this week, according to the Wall Street Journal. Further, China's vaccines do not need as much deep freezing capacity and are particularly well-suited to areas without much infrastructure, which unfortunately includes large parts of the African continent. Zimbabwe received 200,000 free vaccines this week. There are another 200,000 on the way as part of that same donation. The government there in Zimbabwe has also purchased 1.8 million doses of the Sinopharm vaccine, 600,000 of which are slated to arrive next week. Namibia has also announced that China is donating 100,000 vaccines there to that Southwest African nations. 300,000 doses landed in Egypt yesterday as part of a donation, again, from the Chinese government. Senegal is set to receive 200,000 of that same Sinopharm vaccine. Uh, This one, though, is a purchase. Overall, 19 nations in Africa are working with China on the vaccine actively, including Sierra Leone and Equatorial Guinea, among those that I already mentioned. And Sinopharm's vaccine could take on really an even greater importance as it seems to be one of the few not terribly affected by the new South African COVID strain. 
Now, no one nation can fill the gap here. You know, I think it's about 1.6 billion, if I'm not mistaken, doses would need it, would be needed to have the entire African population. No, not the entire, 60% of the African population, excuse me, it's about 1.6 billion for 60% of the African population uh, to be vaccinated. So no one nation can do it. But it's notable here that China has proven to be a vastly more reliable public health partner for Africa in the midst of this pandemic vis-a-vis the West. And not to mention, part of the reason China can do this is they're one of the very few countries that's actually tamed the pandemic in and of itself. But really, as long as Western nations corner the market on the vaccines, keep the technology wrapped up behind intellectual property, it's going to be very difficult to vaccinate the bulk of people in Africa or the global South writ large in anything like an adequate or timely manner. Illinois has decided this week not to end the practice of prison gerrymandering, continuing to perpetuate a common but deeply biased electoral procedure. Now, prison gerrymandering refers to the practice of counting prisoners in the census as part of the areas where the prisons are rather than where they are from. This means that when you draw the lines of the districts, which are based on how many people live in a certain place, it shifts more power to typically more rule, more right places, uh, typically more rule, typically more white places, I should say. They are more right too, in the sense that they are more conservative areas. And of course, people who are in prison tend to be mostly from much more heavily black areas with more progressive politics, particularly when we're talking about Illinois here. So the net result is more conservative, more white areas get more representation, more progressive, more black areas get less representation. And in Illinois, that really just means, right, Chicago loses representation to the more conservative areas downstate where all the prisons are. The whole process, of course, also highlights that the prisoners themselves are totally disenfranchised either way. But it certainly does add insult to injury that their existence is used as a way to strip political power from their home communities. And for years, State Representative LaShawn Ford, who represents parts of Chicago and Cook County, introduced bills to address this issue. In the wake of last year's uprising against racism... Uh, a, a, a provision to end this prison gerrymandering actually passed as part of a larger package of laws that were allegedly at least addressing issues in the criminal legal system. But a clause was slipped in that delays any change to the prison gerrymandering issue to 2031. Yes, a decade in the future. This is in a state with a Democratic supermajority and governor where a significant part of the state's political leadership is black, yet even a basic change like this was kicked so far down the road. I mean, you know, you might as well have killed it. It determines the political power for the next decade, and they just got rid of it. Uh, uh, It's unbelievable in many ways. And when they redraw the maps later this year, these same old imbalances will continue. It just shows really that having Democrats rather than Republicans is not a sure bet when it comes to the issue of making change in the racist everyday reality of the criminal legal system and all of its repercussions into the electoral system and the like. Now, I will say on the positive note here, because of the uprising against racism, we've had Colorado, New Jersey, Nevada, Virginia, and Washington all recently in this practice. California, uh, had ended it relatively recently. That's a small number of states, but it does show that somewhere there has been some movement here. But by and large, this clearly racist, clearly biased procedure will be continuing in the vast majority of the states, including Illinois, moving forward. So there is some progress here, but not a lot. And it obviously takes struggle to make change. And that's going to do it for us here on The Punch Out here on the 24th of February, 2021. But 
That's actually not it for the punch out here today, but the next piece of it you can only get if you are a patron of Breakthrough News. We are starting today the big listen from the punch out. That's a slightly longer form patrons only version of the punch out that we're going to be providing to people every Wednesday starting this week. So go to patreon.com slash breakthrough news. That's patreon.com slash breakthrough news. Become a patron at any level and you, you can hear the big listen on the punch out from Breakthrough News every Wednesday, including this week, moving forward. But we will be back with you tomorrow on the punch out regularly for all 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time here on Breakthrough News.